Let's continue to worship with the reading from Proverbs 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is the word of the Lord. Good job, y'all. We did it. Um, so we've been in a conversation about doubt, uh, but we decided to take a break today for Mother's Day. Um, and I have one goal today. I have one goal. Uh, my goal is to build up the sisters in this room until their hearts are overflowing. Um, so if, if you are a lady, not just a mom, I want to talk to you today. Uh, plenty will be said for everybody, but I want to encourage you specifically in this right here. If you're a lady, not just a mom, I want to encourage you in this right here. You ready? Look right at me. God has placed you in the world, like cosmically, locally, theologically, practically. He has placed you in the world, created you, intentionally empowered you with unique beauty and influence that is essential for human flourishing. Ladies, you paying attention? Okay, are you sure? Look at me, look at me, sis, look at me. You are essential. You're essential. You got it? You're not pushed to the side. Some people in Christianity think, well, Christianity is the men's work and the ladies are going to keep quiet. Listen to me. You are essential for human flourishing. All right, God sees you. He values you deeply. You have more influence than you know and you are stronger than you know, sister. <laughs> and God has you God has you where you are for a reason. He has life-giving work for you to do right now, no matter what the season of life you find yourself in. If you're a, a mom with young kids, I want to encourage you real quick. I got young kids, all right? I know the season some of us are in. Some of us are hanging on to our sanity by the skin of our teeth, right? I get it. Sometimes... I know, mom of young children, just trying to keep the house from burning down and making something the kids will actually eat is enough to send you to the loony bin, all right? And if, I'm serious, and if you can't laugh at the chaos, you got to cry at it, all right? You know, you, uh, you know what I'm talking about, all right, if you're a young mom, right? Some of us, listen to me right now, some of us, not all of us, some of us right now are in the fight of our life, and it revolves around parenting. Dude, you are in the fire, yo. Like, it's getting hot. You feel the flames licking up all over your soul. You're not sure if you're going to make it out of the fire. Listen, my wife had a successful business before we had kids, right? She was killing it. She was making money. Like, she, was just, she had hobbies, you know, right? Uh, three, three kids later, three kids later, her, her life went from, like, social media influence, you know, and selling, making money. Her wife went from this to, whoosh, to this. And if you're a mom, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
When you have kids, that's how it feels. Your world gets smaller. And your sphere of influence feels like it just shrinks, 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 shrinks. So it's just diapers. It's all you do in life, right? Just change diapers, right? And listen to me. Moms, right here. When your world gets smaller, it's hard not to feel that you got smaller too. Can I just say, you did not diminish in influence and power and strength when you had kids. Like the opposite. Like God was making your influence and power bigger and larger and more profound. What God is doing in you through the challenges and sufferings of mom life is powerfully transformative. Powerfully transformative. Not only for what he's accomplishing in your character, but for who he is forming in those little hearts that you're entrusted with. And if you're a mom of young kids, let me just say to you, with every sacrifice, with every compassionate instruction, with every last thread of your sanity snapping, God is at work in the mess. And some of y'all need to know that right now. God's at work in the mess. He's at work in the fire. And your life is not shrinking in meaning. It's increasing exponentially, increasing in value and strength as you embrace mom life. If you're a mom, God is leading you into more leadership more authority than you can imagine. And I just have to tell you right now, no matter where you're at, God sees you. He sees you in the fight. He sees you when you can barely put one foot in front of the other. He sees you when you can barely pick your head up off the pillow. No matter how much you think you have failed as a mom, let me just paraphrase Isaiah 43 to you right now. He who created you, he who formed you says, fear not, I have redeemed you. And I have called you by name and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, of isolation, of exhaustion, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you're not gonna be burned. And the flame will not consume you. I think some of us need to hear that right now. The flame's not gonna consume you. You're gonna make it. You're gonna make it, Mom. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. You are precious in my eyes, and I love you. Being a parent of young kids can be overwhelmingly difficult. And if you're a dad, I know you got your own struggles too. It's not easy for all of us. However, when dad gets home, and we're tired and stressed and workplace dynamics, and he's, you know, the so-and-so's offended, and productivity's down, and business, 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 right? And, and um... And then you get home, and then the kids are demanding, swing me, swing me, swing me. That's what my kids all talk, right? Uh, I get it. I get it. I'm a dad. I'm there. I'm with you. But I'm just going to say, you didn't have to clean poop out of three pairs of pants that day, all right? Or you didn't have to clean throw up off a cat. You ever try to three, clean throw up off a cat? Dad? Or, or when your coworker, when you guys got back from lunch, I'm betting your coworker didn't, coworker didn't throw his pants off and roll in dirt and then finger paint your car with mud that day, right? Like, I get it. Like, it's all tough. Let's not play the who has a tougher game. I'm just saying, like, you're, like, dealing with, like, mediation at work. No one bursts into tears and, like, bites a colleague on the head, right? <laughs> like, we, we both have it tough. It's just different, okay? It's just different. How, you know, like, dad's, like, reasoning with clients about price. Have you ever tried to reason with a three-year-old to go to bed? Some, some comedian said it's like reasoning with a terrorist, except you're the hostage, right? Yeah. <laughs> I will, I will do anything. Just go to bed, right? I'll dance. I'll sing. I'll do whatever you want, right? And then, and then as soon as you get him down, 
you have to do it again the next night, every night, right? And then, so, so moms right now in our culture and society, I think moms right now have a, have a level of pressure that's placed on them that I, I just can't, I just don't know if it's, if it was the same. I'm sure there was there. It just feels like it's compounded today. Um, but there's a ton of pressure on moms. Um, I don't know if you remember when it, trying to sleep train your babies. Some, some of us are about to do this. If you just had some, if you're the pettits, you've like, you've done it a million times, right? So, but... Sleep deprivation, y'all, is a form of torture. Uh, it is. And, and parents get real desperate, and, and we often look online for help, and it's really confusing because everyone, including your in-laws, have opinions about how you should sleep train. And, and oftentimes, it's completely opposite advice. So this really brilliant lady took all the online advice that she found and put it aside. Has anyone read this? This is, okay, let me read this to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's long. So here's all of the advice you can find online about sleep training. Co-sleeping is the best way to get your babies to sleep, except that it can kill them, so never, ever do it. <laughs> Don't put them on their back, only on their belly. You should never put them on their belly. They will suffocate and die. Uh, Don't let them fall asleep in the car seat. It will damage their skull. If your kids don't fall asleep, put them in the car seat. Put them in the swing. Keep the room warm, but not too warm. Swaddle the baby tightly, but not too tightly. Turn the noise machine up way loud. If you use a noise machine, they will go deaf, right? Get, give them a pacifier. To, it'll reduce SIDS. But be careful about pacifiers because it'll cause nursing problems and it'll stop your baby from sleeping someday. And if your baby sleeps too soundly, they'll die of SIDS. <laughs> using the cry it out method. Using the cry it out method is the only way that works. But it will make them think they're abandoned. Also, it causes brain damage, right? <laughs> and not getting enough sleep causes mental problems. So, so, so be sure to put them asleep by any means necessary. Cry it out method's the best. <laughs> Anyone? Okay. All right. It's real. All right. There's, so there's cultural pressure. There's social pressure. And depending on what religious context you grew up in, there is theological pressure on what it means to be a woman and how women are supposed to act as Christians and in church and in, on Sunday mornings. And of course, many of these things that we have, been, we have inherited about these ideas of gender roles are defined by the society that we live in. But what you really find in Christian society is all these societal, culture, societal cultural pressures just mixing together with theolo theological pressures on women. You know what I'm talking about? And so there can be almost this same type of opposing list in women's hearts as a sleep training as with coming to church and being a Christian. And what's their role in church? You should be beautiful and skinny and sexy, but also modest. You should be quiet and submissive, but also strong and decisive, and your kids should obey you. You should have a business and make money, but also you should stay at home and cook with the kids. Oh, you don't homeschool? All right. Yeah. You should know how to cook delicious food, but don't eat it because it'll, right? <laughs> but you'll find um, pockets of even more stringent expectations on women in churches. Uh, maybe you grew up in a very traditional society where it was do not talk in church and wear your group-issued blue jean floor-length skirt. <laughs> maybe you grew up in a setting where mom made the money, and everything that happened happened because mom was behind it with a whip and dad kept his mouth shut. See, we all have different expectations and, and definitions of what it means to be a woman in society. And it's a mix of cultural expectations and religious expectations. And it's all mashed together. And it can create this really unhealthy, debilitating pressure that can basically cook you alive as a woman. 
Uh, for example, look at the sharp rise of mental health crisis for young girls in the past two decades. In 2010, a sharp rise began in suicides, anxiety, medications. It skyrocketed. Do you know what came out in 2010? The smartphone. So there's social pressure, and there's pressure from Christian circles, and it can be debilitating. And I'll be honest. I think many have accepted demeaning, belittling perspectives on women because of certain theological misunderstandings. Ladies can get a bad rap in the book, you know, Eve, you know, the apple. Thanks a lot, Eve, you know. It's right there. It says because he listened to his wife, things went south. So, but, so people read that, okay? And we're giggling, it's fine. People read that, and then they don't read the rest of Scripture. I mean, how far did you get in your New Year's resolution? You started in January, you probably checked out around Leviticus, right? Right? Uh, and now, how many, come on, anyone? How many of you guys just scroll social media with the Bible in your lap now? Anyone? Okay. Oh, I got someone on that one. Okay. My point is, we don't read the whole thing through. We read the beginning and think, well, women screwed the whole thing up for us. And we get an incomplete picture of what God intends for women, right? And we accept then demeaning, belittling, dehumanizing views of women. And many people have accepted and maintained demeaning views of women and used the Bible to do it. You can pluck certain things out of the New Testament and think, well, I guess ladies need to step aside and let men do the real work of Christianity. Can I just say to you, that sentiment is more a reflection of our society than it is the Bible. That is not at all the picture we see in Scripture. I don't care if you're complementarian or egalitarian. It's not the picture the Bible paints. The picture the Bible paints is that women are of no less value, dignity, or significance, or impact than man in any way. That's the picture that the Bible paints. The Bible's going to acknowledge the differences. Absolutely, they're not the same for the glory of God, but they have differences, and they are intended to create a fuller picture of who God is, uh, right? It's in Genesis, it is man and woman together who make the image of God, not man by himself, not just one, both together. They're made in his image. So the Bible has consistently challenged the cultural view of women in almost every society it's impacted. Prove me wrong. Historically, primarily in the way it elevates woman above the societal ideas of what a woman should be in the Bible. All right, the only reason you can have a dismissive, belittling view of women is because you haven't actually read the Bible. You have to ignore things. Like in Judges, when the dude is too afraid to fight, and God uses Deborah, the warrior prophet who believes and obeys when the man's too chicken to do it. And Deborah and J.L., Dagum crushed the enemy with a hammer and a, a pent, what's it called? Tent, tent, tent peg, thank you, right? It's epic, man, it's a crazy story. Dude's hiding in the, in the tent, woman gets, kills, this, kills the enemy. You gotta ignore stuff like that if you're gonna demean women and act like they don't matter in Christianity. Or when the patriarch, Judah, realizes he's busted for lying and says of Tamar, the prostitute, she is more righteous than I. You have to ignore things, like how when God created man and woman, he calls woman Azer in Hebrew. Do you know what that means? It, doesn't, it, it means help. Yes, you know that, maybe, if you grew up in church. But it's also coupled. Every time you see that word in the New Testament, it's, uh, Old Testament, it's coupled with deliverance. Help 
in deliverance. In fact, that word, azer, is most consistently used to describe God himself in the Old Testament. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our azer and shield. What does that mean about you, lady, woman? What does that mean about you? It means God's calling you to be a shield. What's that? Think of the incredible strength of a shield, without which, no matter how dashing the warrior is, the arrow is going to go straight through his flesh. The Bible calls you an azer. When you think of help, we think, help me with this. No, dude, it's help and deliverance. It's protection. It's shielding those you love, right? Have you ever noticed that in the Bible, all the cities are given feminine? They, her. Every city in the Bible is referred to as a her. You know what I'm talking about? Jerusalem, that great city, her. This is Psalm 46. There's a river who makes stream, whose streams make glad the city of God. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. This is Jerusalem. That's uh, Psalm 46. Here's Ezekiel 5.5. This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations. The holy city in Revelation 21 comes down like a what? Bride adorned. What does a city represent? Ancient fortified cities had walls. They represent safety, y'all. They represent security, comfort, protection, provisions. Look at me. It is not a secondary role. It is equal in value and significance if you are a woman. Listen, imagine a sojourner lost in the wilderness. City is salvation. You find a city when you're wandering in the wilderness. If you're going to fight a battle, the first thing you do is figure out the walls. You figure out protection. How will we be safe? Lady, you've been called to this. To be an azer. Protection, provision, help for those who love you and who you love. Can I just say, that is not... We, we often don't think that when we hear the word helper. And that is the connotation in the biblical language. Esther, who God uses to protect all of the Jewish people the, from the Persian Empire. God uses everything about this woman. Her beauty, her bravery, her intellect to save his people. In the New Testament, we see Lydia, a wealthy business lady who hosts the church in Philippi and provides for it out of her success, right? Paul says it was Aquila, and he is sure to mention his wife, Priscilla, who teaches Apollo the way of Jesus more clearly. Apollo, who would become a pillar in the New Testament church. And on and on and on we can go of how the Bible insists on including women in the plans of God in huge ways. On and on we could go. In all these societies, heavily patriarchal societies, right? What we find in Scripture is Scripture pushing back, insisting on the significance that women can have in the kingdom. It was, remember, the Hebrew midwives who had the guts to stand up to Pharaoh when he commanded them to kill all the baby boys. If you feel that because you are a woman, you have somehow a lesser role in God's plan, consider this. In, the, in Genesis, it was the seed of the woman who would crush the snake. That's the one who's going to give the death blow to the snake. Remember, it was a small girl, Mary, who God chose to begin his rescue plan for all creation. Consider, Jesus revealed himself alive to the women first. God, and then we have all these instances of God answering the prayers of moms in Scripture. God answers Hagar's prayer in the wilderness. He answers Hannah's prayer for a son. God gives her Samuel. And we find God healing infertility in women over and over and over again in the Bible. Now, 
if you're like, wow, Chris, really leaning towards that feminist empowering thing, aren't you? Like, been watching too many Disney movies or something. All right? <clears throat> Look, I'm just telling you it's in the book. All right? I'm just tell you don't got a problem with me, you got a problem with the book. All right? I think humanity has a long history of the stronger dominating the weaker. Generally speaking, generally speaking, men are stronger than women. Okay, you, now you can find some video of some like beast woman like deadlifting 600 pounds or something like that. All right, but generally speaking, men are larger than women. And what we see throughout all of history, what do we see, friends? What do we see? We see the stronger exploiting, abusing the weaker. And let me say something. God has things to say about that. And what really burns my biscuits is when I see arrogant, dogmatic, religious men using the Bible and theology to dominate and oppress and subjugate women. Now, with the approval of their self-righteous conscience. And in the Bible, we do see the exploitation of women, and it breaks the heart of God. And he steps in. Even when Abraham, father, remember Father Abraham? Remember? Father Abraham. Remember that one? Like the, the guy, right? The chosen. He illegitimately tries to uh, make the promise of God happen through the sexual abuse of his servant, Hagar. Do you remember? And they eventually kick her out into the wilderness. And you know what happens? God meets a mom in the wilderness and reveals himself to her as the God who sees. What a fascinating story. Jude, sit with it for a second. God's elect, his chosen, in an act of disobedience, abuse and mistreat their servant, the non-chosen, Hagar, the non-chosen. And God follows behind and cares and makes promises to the non-chosen in the wilderness because his chosen had no faith. That should tweak your idea of what election and predestination means. All right, so here's, uh, let's get on from that quick. All right, go, go. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't talk anymore of that. Okay, okay. Here's the beautiful thing about the Bible. We're going to wrap it up right here because we got, we got stuff to do. All right. The beautiful thing about the Bible is it confronts us in exactly the way we need it to. And it radically transforms us from prideful, selfish humans, men or women, into creatures who can love like God loves. So let me tell you what I mean by that, and then we're, then we're going to get out of here. The Bible confronts you exactly in the way you need it to, to, to transform you into a selfless, loving person who looks more like God. So obviously I'm a dude. I'm not a lady. Strange coincidence, I have the same haircut as many lesbians, but I'm a dude. And there are... You're, you're never going to look at me the same now. You're never... From, from the back, it's going to like... Okay. I... I should, have, I should have got my wife's okay on that joke against my better judgment. I didn't ask her last night. And anyway, anyway, all right, I'm a dude. So <laughs> there are certain things that confront me. <laughs> I, got, I got Jim right there. I, uh, cer there are certain things in the Bible that confront me as a man and make me uncomfortable. Okay, now, there are certain things that confront you in the Bible and make you uncomfortable. And when it does, you need to pause and say, why does this make me uncomfortable? Why does this make me uncomfortable? So when I get real uncomfortable with the Bible, uh, it's in places like this when it comes to gender roles. I often would rather not be responsible for the leadership of my house. I would rather punt on that sometimes because of my laziness. 
So when the Bible says, hey, dude, you're doing your part, being fruitful and multiplying. Great job getting her pregnant. No, that was tough. Now, lay your life down for your bride like Jesus did for the church. I want you to lead like that. Woo, okay. Let me think what that looks like. Okay, well, when I'm tired and exhausted and I feel entitled and I feel like I should be able to emotionally disconnect, nail that to the cross and lay your life down again and again and again and again. Re gentlemen, repeat after me. You're gonna, let's tell you how to lay your life down when, when your head hits the pillow. It goes like this. When your wife's talking about her day and her struggles, this is what you say to her. This is what you say. Listen, listen. You say this. How does that make you feel? Guys, say it with me. How does that make you? See, you can do it. You can do it. Listen, don't tell me that ain't laying your life down when you're like, just let me go to bed, right? <laughs> so the Bible confronts me. It calls out my cowardice. It calls out my risk aversion. It calls out my unwillingness to lead and own responsibility, right? For some of you, you need to be challenged to get off your butt and know that leadership doesn't mean uh, you can get a free pass out of domestic responsibility, men. When it comes to changing diapers and washing dishes, get in there and lead like Jesus, bro. Wash her feet by washing the dishes, right? Some dudes need to remember that leadership does not nullify the command to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that she's a co-heir with you, equal in power and wisdom and potential for God to use her in miraculous, beautiful ways. Ladies, how does the Bible challenge you here? I bet some of you need to be reminded that respecting and submitting to your husband does not mean you are in any way less valuable in the kingdom. But you are co-heirs with him, equal in dig dignity, equal in power, equal in influence in the kingdom. But then there are others that might need to be reminded that being a co-heir doesn't mean that you can manipulate and ridicule and talk about your husband like he's an idiot to your girls. Look, I know theological categories like egalitarian and complementarian can be helpful. They can, also, they can also cause you to intentionally ignore scriptures of the opposite perspective. Do you know why those things can be so contentious? because they can both be pretty equally defended from Scripture. And I honestly feel that people who hold to either of those positions really harshly have to ignore Scriptures on the other side. And I just don't want to ignore any Scripture. On the one side, as a man, I might want to ignore Scripture calling me to be a man and lay down my life for my wife and kids every day. On the other, I might want to ignore Scriptures that calls me to listen to my wife and mutually submit to her in the name of Jesus. And I would just warn you, if you lean towards a certain theological perspective because it strokes your ego and makes your life easy, I would just say, beware that you're not using Jesus to prop up and justify things that he came to redeem you from. So if you're a guy and you lean towards one because it allows you to come home and emotionally check out and do nothing like a caveman, I'd say you might be using scripture to prop up your pride and selfishness. And if you're a woman and lean towards one because it allows you to not respect your husband or listen to him, you might be using Scripture to prop up your selfishness, sister. And the beautiful thing about Scripture is it meets us in the exact way we need it to to transform us into people that look like Jesus. Come on, man. The Bible's an amazing book. No one clapped. I thought someone would clap for that, you know? Mike, I'm, I'm up here doing my best. Or no? <laughs> Thank you. All right. I, listen, I love me some doctrine, unless it stops me from listening to the Bible. Amen. Okay? All right, now, here's what we're going to do right now. Ladies, 
Mom or not, I want you to stand up. Oh, gosh, you knew it. You knew it. You knew it. You're so uncomfortable already. <clears throat> Ladies, I hope. Come on up, um, Kayla. Um, Ladies, I hope you have felt valued today. I hope you have felt the significance that Scripture puts on you as a woman. I hope you feel empowered in the name of Jesus. Maybe not. Hopefully so. Um, we're going to pray for y'all. I'm going to let Kayla lead us. I'm going to let you start. I changed my mind. <laughs> um, I'll pray, then we'll end. So ladies, let's, let's, let's just close our eyes if you're comfortable. And ladies, I just want you to take a, just it, inside, in your heart, uh, maybe it's physical, but I just want you to take a position of receptivity right now. I think God wants to bless you today. So if you want to, if that's opening your hands, if it's just standing there and whatever, I just want you to take a position of receptivity before God. So let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, I just thank you for each of these women that are standing today with their hands open, um, hearts open, Father. When you created woman, what a beautiful idea you had. Yes. You have given women power and influence, yeah. life-giving ability physically, in word and deed. Right. God, help us to use it for your good, Amen. for your name, in the building of our homes. We have the ability through your strength and power, Lord, to build things, to do your work. We also have the ability to tear it down. God, I ask that yes. you help us to lift yes. others up, to yes. sow into eternal things, yes. impacting generations to come. Amen. You have placed a good work in front of each of us, yeah. and it's going to look different from the lady next to us. Help us, yes. strengthen us to fix our eyes on you. Mm. We want to do it with all our might. Yes. Help us to commit this good work to you as we hold our hands open, Father, the work of our hands, knowing that you alone can establish our plans, giving us everything that we need. Yeah. Yeah. I pray for your strength when we are weary. It's going to happen. We are so weary. Mm. Help us not to give up in doing Amen. good, Amen. for we will reap in due season. Yes. Help us to learn from you the ultimate life giver. You have gone before us. Yes. You know what it looks like to give life. Mm. You are gentle and lowly, and we indeed will find rest for our souls. We only have to come and to behold who you are. Yes. You are the giver of life, the sustainer of our souls. You are our sure foundation, our keeper, we praise your name, Father. I thank you for these women. Yes. Yeah. All right, this is what I want to do right now. If you are a husband or boyfriend or close to uh, the person standing next to you, I want you to um, put your hand on their shoulder if you can. Maybe you need to stand up and just, okay. And so what I want to do right now, hopefully if you're a, a woman, someone's just laying a hand of blessing on you. Um, I want to talk to the, to the husbands and boyfriends right now, um, we're going to bless our girls right now, okay? We're going to pray blessing and, and, and wisdom and life over them. So, so join me, guys, right now. Father, we lift up our girls to you. God, we lift up weary moms, Lord. 
God, we lift up uh, those who are advanced in age and have lived their life. God, we lift up the very young to the very old Holy Spirit, and we ask that you would fill them right now with blessing and power in the name of Jesus. God, would you strengthen weak knees, Father? God, would you give them a sense of influence and power that they have, that they have, that they've been given by you right now? God, I pray for every marriage that's represented in this room, Holy Spirit, that even the act of just laying a hand on and blessing right now, that you'd begin to um, break down division in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray that open communication would just begin to flow between husband and wife in the name of Jesus right now, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you love us so much. Thank you for the gift um, that you've given us in Jesus. We praise you in your name. We pray these things. Amen. Have a seat, ladies. Thank you for that. Wasn't too bad, was it?